Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is a speaker and trainer with an expertise and a lot of expertise in innovation, teams, and virtual facilitation. She works with companies who want to be more innovative, such as, you know, small places like the Mayo Clinic, the United States Department of Homeland Security. Really? Innovation with that? That's going to be interesting. And the University of Wisconsin. She has a PhD in leadership and change. She also hosts the Deliberate Creative podcast and is the designer of Climber Cards, a creative and team building tool that has been used in over 40 countries. She's also a certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association and a certified virtual presenter. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina, which I live in North Carolina. Asheville is one of my favorite cities to go visit. Absolutely beautiful there. If you've never been there, you got to go. And she loves building stuff in her workshop. So please welcome today's guest, Dr. Amy Clymer. Hi, Amy. Hi, Dr. Gary. Good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, this is going to be fun because if, if it's not fun, then we're doing something wrong when we start talking about creativity and innovation. And but how did you how did you decide to get into that field? I mean, that's you know, all of a sudden you woke up one day, had an idea, and said, "Gee, I think I'll just help other people come up with ideas." Well, how did <laughs> how did you get here? You know, I think I think there were, there were like two catalysts. I think one was just even as a kid, I was into being creative, and I remember when friends of mine would say, oh, I'm not very creative. And I would get really frustrated. I'm like, yes, you are. Why are you saying that? You know? And so that was a piece of it. But then as I got older in my twenties and I started, you know, working in professional roles, I had this experience multiple times. And you've probably had this experience as well, where I had been on teams that I felt like when I walked into the room to a team meeting, it was like, I instantly became less creative in that group, with that group of people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I had been a part of teams where I felt like it was just like all these creative ideas were flowing and the team, was, we were just like on fire in a really good way. And I was very curious about what's so different about these two groups. Why are some teams highly creative and some aren't? And eventually I ended up, you know, studying this in my PhD program and and all the while, like kind of through my whole career, I think one thread is that I've been working with teams. So I used to be. Um, yeah, but hold, hold on a second. Hold on okay. a second. You can't. You just can't leave us hanging like that. I mean, if if you if you made this observation, or you started to make this observation. What did you come up with? I mean, why were some teams creative and other teams weren't? Well, so what I what I learned through the the research that I did is that there are these three elements that teams need if they want to be creative together, and you know, I, I could walk through them. So, some are more obvious than others. So the first, which is probably the most obvious, is that a team needs to have a clear sense of purpose. Like, what is the purpose of our team? What are we trying to do together? But you don't want to have too narrow of a purpose because then you're not going to have the room for creativity, right? But, and, and sometimes this is obvious, like the marketing team. Well, you know, probably the purpose is something around marketing the product, right? 
But other teams, it's a little grayer. And even like the executive team, I've worked with executive teams before where they could not articulate the purpose of their team. They could talk about the purpose of like the whole organization, but they had never had that conversation. So you bring it down to the team level. You really try to get it. In other words, what I'm hearing you say is it's more personal. It, it is. And, and the reason for that is that teams are the number one source of innovation in organizations. So, and if you think about it, it makes sense. It's like, you know, if we look at anything like, okay, of course we're going to go to like the iconic, you know, the Apple iPhone, right? Like at the end of the day, it's like these teams that are working on it together and that are, you know, whether it's the design or the development or whatever. So the team is really pivotal in the innovation within an organization. So team purpose. The Mm -hmm. second piece is the team needs to have their team dynamics, their relationships with each other, how they behave with each other, particularly like in team meetings or when they're working together. And those need to be relatively positive, particularly around trust, conflict, and communication. And we can get into more depth on that if you want. But the third piece, the third element is team creative process. And this is the strategies, the techniques, the tools that teams are using to be creative together. And what I've found is that this is the area that most teams struggle with, that they don't even know there might be a creative process. And so most of the work that I'm doing is around team creative process and helping them learn how that works and understand it and apply it. Okay. So let's look at these three for just a real quick second, because having a clear purpose is consistent with everything that we do in the seven steps of intentional leadership. My first step is purpose. Wow. Look at that. Yes. Okay. First step is purpose. But at a a team level, what you're talking about is really important because it's not just the organizational mission, but it's the purpose of the team, whether it's the executive team or the marketing team, it's them understanding what their fundamental purpose is in adding value to whatever it is the organization is offering to the public, right? Exactly. Which creates focus. It creates energy and a direction as I, as I talk about it. The second thing that you talk about, the team dynamics, the culture of that team, I, and you said trust. So the, the model I love is uh, Patrick Lencioni's advantage model and trust is two pieces. It's the ability to be able to complete what I say I'm going to do. It's having the trust that I can do what I say. But the other part is a level of vulnerability. It's vulnerability and openness. And people really get this wrong a lot of times. It's not just vulnerability about me personally or so on, but it's vulnerability about the being able to say what I suck at. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what I'm really bad at. And the rest of the team can laugh at it and go, yeah, you really suck at that, Gary. You're terrible at details. Don't do that. I was like, no, I'm, I'm the idea guy. Let me do that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because the team then picks up the next steps because we trust each other in that process of moving forward. But the third part that you're talking about, which is really key here that I'd, I'd never thought about is the creative process. It's like, how do we come up with ideas? How do we make decisions. And you know what? It really reminds me of some work that we've done with companies in decision-making, which is one of the most important parts of any leadership's ability to move things ahead as we're making decisions, right? And cognitive decision-making is the second part of what is scientifically correlated to leadership effectiveness. Emotional intelligence and cognitive decision-making are the only two scientifically measurable characteristics of leadership effectiveness. And 
when you talk about creativity and cognitive decision-making, those two are directly connected. Our ability to be able to come up with other ideas, other alternatives. And as, as I call the default decision is the decision we make like 999 times out of a thousand. It's just, Oh, this worked yesterday. Let's do it today. Yeah. Yeah. And don't even think about this creative process. Right. So talk to me about how do we break through the default decision? Yeah, I, I, I love this, this, uh, this concept of this default decision because we do get caught in this trap a lot. Mm. I, think, I think when it comes to creativity, what I see, well, let me, let me, I'll talk a little bit about some mistakes I see that teams make. So one of the mistakes I see is they, they say, oh, well, let's have a brainstorming session or let, let's spend a few moments brainstorming. And just that alone, um, brainstorming is not the most effective way to generate ideas. There's some certain contexts where mm. it does work well, but there's so many other techniques to generate ideas. Now, often when people use the word brainstorming, what they really just mean is general ideation, and that's fine. But then what happens is that three, four, five ideas get thrown out on the table, and then the group starts evaluating them. Usually somebody says, oh, no, no, we can't do that because we did that in 1985 and it was a disaster. And, you know, I usually start laughing and then I realize they're serious and then it gets kind of awkward. And but but the point is they, they don't go very far. They right. just spend three, you know, three, four ideas is not a brainstorm. I mean, that's a grocery list. Mm. So it's instead it's about getting 50 ideas out on the table, 100 ideas and you can do this pretty quick. It is not that time consuming to get a team to generate 50 ideas. I mean, 15 minutes might be enough time, uh, depending on the technique you're using. And to your point, I just want to make this point because when they come up with the three or four ideas, actually what that is, is just three or four of the default ideas that they've ever done before. Right. Yeah. So, Oh, I've got more options. You do. I mean, it's not just one idea, but it's, we got to go beyond that. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I think like the, the, one of the most common default ideas is, you know, if it's any, any problem around marketing, somebody says, let's have a social media campaign. <laughs> Okay, great. Yes. And w w let's go, let's take that further. You know, nothing wrong with social media or having a campaign, that, but yeah, let's push that. Mm. Yeah. So I think getting away from those, those default ideas can be really helpful. And what happens is that often quantity leads to quality. So you got a hundred ideas and 90% of them are junk, but 10 of them are really worth thinking about. And there's this concept in the field of creativity and innovation called the third third, mm. which is you got, you, you spend some time generating ideas. Let's again, use this idea of a hundred ideas. Often the best ones are the third third. So the last 30 ideas there that you never would have gotten to if you stopped after five. Do you find that the part of the reason for this is because the ideas that are put forth in the beginning generate other ideas and other options, which then generate more, which then generate more, and it gets people thinking more, and you get this kind of energy yes. of, of thought, of options, right? So I just learned something here that I really love. I want to share with you because I've, I've talked about the default decisions before, but I've never talked about the default options before. Mm. And the default options are like that first third. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And the default options, you can't get past default decisions unless you have non-default options. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's what this creative process helps us do, right? It, oh, it gets right. us into the second third and the third third 
to come up with things that people haven't thought of before. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about when you're generating some new ideas, sometimes what happens, depending on the group that's in the room, is, you know, they're so ingrained and focused and and immersed in their particular world. So let's say, let's take educators, for instance. So you're, you're, say you're working with a school and it's all teachers and administrators, and you're trying to get them to think about like, how might we do school differently? But they've only seen this one model. And so I think that's part of where the default decisions and default options come. If you introduce them to all these other ideas of, oh, hey, check out this school across the country and what they're doing and see what this group, then it's like, oh, okay, that can spark more ideas. And they start to see this sense of possibility. And so I think that sometimes that's part of what creates default decisions is just like, it's kind of this, I don't know what else there is. I don't know what I don't know. It's experience. Yeah. Experience creates the default decisions because, as I said before, is what, what worked yesterday. My experience is this worked yesterday. Will it work today? Oh yeah. Without and it's not the the, the final decision. I'm not saying that people shouldn't take the f- default decision. I'm not saying that people shouldn't take the thing that's going to work. What I'm saying is is that we need to slow down in certain situations. And as we say in leadership, I, I get this, Amy, all the time. People say to me, well, Gary, well, what about this situation with this employee? And, 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 and here's what's going on. And I say, look, two words in every single answer I ever give you, two words. It depends. Mm, mm-hmm. It depends. <laughs> it depends on the situation. It depends on the person. It depends on the length of service. It depends on their past. It depends. So I can't give you an answer. Yeah. In a lot of ways, we won't almost want to take that approach to the creative process and say, well, do I go to the next level if I've got purpose and I've got trust and I have some default decisions that I think will work? The next question I need to ask myself is, do I have time and is it important enough for me to go into the creative process to come up with new options? How do people know when to take that next step? Because you can't do it all the time. True. So how do we know? I'm a leader and I've got a company of, you know, 10 people and we're going to be doing strategic planning in three weeks. And I want to get into the creative process with them that looks at new and better ways to design, develop and deliver leadership development programs. Mm-hmm. So h- how, how do I know that I should be questioning the purpose of what's going on within my organization now? Well, I think, you know, one of the things you said there that I think is, is key is that you said, well, I want to come up with new and better ways to do blah, blah, blah. So, I, I mean, while I am like the biggest fan of creativity, I don't believe you need to be creative all the time. And there are some times where it's like, yeah, I don't need to change this because it is working and I'm not looking for a new and better way to do this. But then there are other cases where, yeah, I, I do need, this isn't actually working that well. If I'm really honest with myself and I'm really, mm-hmm. you know, a, li- a little bit objective, then this isn't actually working and I should change it up. And mm-hmm. then- Let's look at what might work. And I think it's also about resources and, you know, do you have the resources to make changes? And, you know, I think about, you know, there's so many examples of organizations who have failed, you know, companies that have failed that if you really look back and do a bit of a case study, you can see that they had the opportunity to make changes and they they had the information they needed. They, you know, you know, I think Blockbuster is a good example. Sears is one of my favorite examples right now because they used to be really innovative And then like, you know, they filed for bankruptcy in 2018 and there's like five stores left or something. Well, actually, Shelly Archambault, who was on my program, 
worked for Blockbuster and was trying to convince them to buy Netflix. Yeah. And they could have bought it at a at pennies on the dollar yeah. back in the day, right? Yeah. Couldn't yeah. convince them. Says, oh, that's that's never gonna work. It's never gonna work. Now now we know, right? Yeah. Exactly. So there's yeah, many examples of that from uh the railroad system thinking they're a railroad instead of in transportation. They could have they had so much money in the eighteen hundreds they could have taken over transportation to this day, but they didn't have a vision. They didn't have a sense of the right purpose for what they were doing. And we see this with companies all the time. Eastman Kodak, they were the first ones to develop the digital camera, almost put them out of business, right? So, because they were told to bury it. Thank goodness Uh, they own the patent. I think that helped keep them alive for a while. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of examples in that. And I think that what you're saying is that we need to assess that. And each year or in a, in time of challenge, we have to question how much time do we need to spend in this creative process to be able to overcome some of these challenges or we'll find ourselves on the outside looking in. Yeah. And and I think that a part of that is is also knowing what do you let go of because we all have a finite amount of time. And so if you're going to spend more time, uh, you know, being creative, what does that mean you're not doing and being open to letting go of some things that maybe you thought were really important, but turns out aren't. Uh, and, and I think we've all, many of us have gotten a, a glimpse of that just in the last couple of years during the pandemic, where things that seemed really important in November or December 2019 just aren't that important anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let's, let's dig in. We've been talking conceptually now. Let's see if we can dig into some specifics and some of the work that you've done. And we don't need names of organizations, but if there's some examples that you can share with us on what you've done to help people break through the default options and their past history that, that allowed them to look at this differently. Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the first things that I do when I'm working with a team is I teach them the difference between divergent and convergent thinking. And so divergent thinking is where we're generating lots of ideas and we're maybe we're getting off track a little bit and we're sort of playing with ideas. Whereas convergent thinking is where we're making the decision of what's the best idea, what do we want to move forward? And our brain can't actually do those two things at the same time. And you can get really good at switching between them, but most of us aren't that good at that. So instead, what we want to do is like, okay, right now we're going to be in this divergent mode. And then, you know, we're going to, we're going to generate lots of ideas while we're in this divergent mode. And then we'll move into the convergent phase and evaluate them. And, you know, that phrase, um, there's no such, you know, no ideas are bad ideas. Okay. I would say, first of all, that's not true. There are many bad ideas out there, (laughs) but the difference is we're not going to decide that yet. And I tell my clients, like, I promise you, you do not have to and will not implement a bad idea. Uh, now, it might be an idea that you later find out wasn't the best fit, but y- you know, you're going to have that opportunity to evaluate it. And I think when people jump in really quick and say, "Oh, no, 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 that's not going to work," they actually are coming from a really a place of caring. Of, of they they want to make sure that an idea that they think might be a bad idea in the moment isn't going to get move forward. But anyway, so if we just separate those two things out, that makes a big difference. Yeah, this is a really important, important piece because when I when I've done this with organizations, say, look, no judgment. We're gonna just throw everything up on the flip chart, whatever it is. You'll like, excuse me, but I called it brainstorming. I will just It's okay, it's okay. It's, and you can I'm still a, call it that. <laughs> good. I'm a, I'm a rookie at this. So let, let me but the idea here is to 
the divergent convergent process is to separate them. This is the message because what I'm hearing you say is between the divergent and convergent process is that assessment or judgment of what might work, what might not work. But if you're doing it at the same time, and I, you've seen this how a million times, I know I've seen it. As soon as somebody opens their mouth to judge a divergent idea, it shuts down the creative process. It's like everybody starts to focus on the assessment of what the person's saying, either an agreement or disagreement with them. And now we've just gone off the tracks, gone in the wrong direction. And so how, how do you prevent that from happening? That judging and, and assessing and, oh, that's not going to work. I mean, because that one phrase, that one phrase by itself can just shut everybody down. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. First of all, I share some, some rules around ideation. Um, and, and one of those rules is let's suspend judgment. And I'm, I'm really clear, like we're suspending judgment. We're not like, we are going to judge the idea. So in that in itself, sometimes just lets people relax a little bit and like, okay, cool. I get to say my piece at some point. So, so that, and then sometimes it's just like playfulness where, uh, you know, like somebody is evaluating the idea and like you throw a little toy at them and be like, Hey, we're not doing that yet. And they're like, oh, well, sorry, my bad. You know, and you can have kind of fun oh, with good, it. You don't have to be yeah. like a jerk, right? Right. And and just kind of reminding people of like, hey, let's stay on this like ideation a little bit longer. And what I've found is that most people, like when you lay it out, they're fine with it. And we're not spending hours and hours ideating. We actually, the convergent phase of evaluating, that generally does take longer. Um, the ideation phases can be pretty quick. And of course, you're going back and forth, right? Like after converging, you might come back to the divergent and generate more ideas. And yeah, because when you converge on a couple, that might it might cause people to think about it more deeply, and then move more more into that final third that causes additional ideas to pop up, right? So it's it's a process, as you said. It's it's and it's not linear. It's not necessarily linear. Yeah, and you know, I want to add one more thing that I think goes back to the decision making you mentioned a minute ago is, you know, we're talking about how people are evaluating the ideas too quickly, but I've also been noticing, and this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago, where some teams do the opposite and they actually just come up with ideas and then they just never evaluate them and they just move on to the next topic. Mm, mm. And, and I see that we're like, okay, let's talk about blah, blah, blah. And like they're in the meeting and they're having a conversation. And then someone's like, okay, well, that's been 15 minutes. Let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. And it's like, well, wait, wait a minute. What's the next step on this? Like, are yeah. we going to make a decision? Are we going to postpone it? You know, and it doesn't really matter, but just getting clear of what's next can be helpful. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're not, you're, you're not accomplishing anything except coming up with a list of ideas. Well, this is fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and actually what ends up happening is it's not very fun. It's actually really draining. I think for groups to come up with ideas and then never see any results from it. It's like, well, that was a waste of time. And then in the long run, while they might've been having fun for those few minutes, it's like demoralizing. Well, yeah. Because, so tying into the psychology of that, the most motivating thing that a lot of people don't realize this, but the most motivating thing in it for humans is not goal achievement. It's, it's progress, progress. Yes. towards goal achievement. Teresa Amabile. Pardon? Do you, know, do you know Dr. Teresa Amabile, the progress principle? I do not. Okay. Well, I only Fill know her in. because she's a creativity researcher and she discovered this thing about progress because she was doing this really fascinating study about creativity. But what she found was that 
when people make more progress towards something, that's really what motivates them. And it, and it correlates with creativity that then they become more creative for like those couple days. Yeah. There's a great book she wrote called the progress principle. The progress principle. Well, we'll have to highlight that in the, in the show notes. Uh, wasn't aware of that, but it's something that we've been preaching at yeah. uh, Staterius for years. That's good. And trying to help business people understand that although we set these annual goals and we want to have certain revenue levels and we want to have growth, we want to have these things with projects and customers, it's all great stuff. But day to day, it can get to be a real grind if you can't measure the progress that you're making over time yeah. and see that you're moving towards something mm-hmm. and, and, it, and, and that the possibility of goal achievement is there. When we don't know, uh, when we just don't know how close we are, I can remember a famous swimmer, and I, I can't remember the woman's name at this point, but she swam across the English Channel. Oh, the yeah. very first time she tried it, she stopped after many hours and found out that she was only about, it was very foggy, and she found out she's only three or 400 yards from shore. And she said, had I known I was that close, I know I could have finished. So she had to wait months and then she ended up doing it again. And she did finish crossing the English Channel. And I'm sure some of our listeners will know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's a great metaphor for life is that when we, when we can see the end point and it's clear and we know what kind of progress we've made. And one of the things that I, I work with, and I'm sure you do, Amy, is, is reminding people. They, they forget how much progress they've made. Mm. And to take a minute. Take a minute to look back on, on, look, we came up with these ideas two years ago. We put this strategy in place 18 months ago. And look at the progress we've made in the last 18 months where, from where we started to where we are today. Because they're still struggling with the grind every yeah. single day. It's so true. I find sometimes even as simple as on Friday um, – you know, looking back at my calendar of like, what did I do this week? I don't even remember. And then I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That was a good week. I did a lot, you know? Um. Well, that's why I I still do the simple things, uh, pen and paper. Every day I wake up and I put my three things that I have to get done today totally, and and cross them off. And as I go through the week and I look back at my pad of paper and I see hopefully at least 15 things, and it's usually a lot more, but right, it's a sense of accomplishment and yeah. progress towards certain things. Without it, we we can really get demoralized. And and I I think it's more important right now during this pandemic where we're not engaged with human beings as much. We're doing more video, and and getting that. I, I love what you do in terms of the focus with the team, mm-hmm. not with all organizations, but down to the team focus. And tell me one of your greatest successes with a team. I would, you know, brag a little bit about what you did and help some people out. Cause I know you've helped a lot of people with this. I've seen some videos with you in front of crowds of, of people <laughs> that are just energized and focused on this stuff. And it's really fun to see as a, as a national speakers association certified speaking professional. I know you do this as part of your living, but I uh, helped a lot of people, but we, tell me, tell me a story about how sure. you've helped some people. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you a story that relates back to decision-making. So uh, this was a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and I was working with a team and I was, it was several months we were working together and it was part of this bigger project, this pretty massive change that was happening within the organization. And part of the the tasks for this particular team was involved a lot of small decisions, just like little stuff. And one day, pretty early on, 
I don't know, we probably met, we'd been, we met like twice a week. And so it was, I don't know, pretty fast process, but we probably met about 10 times. So everyone knew each other well enough. And, and I'm listening to the conversation and I'm thinking, I think everyone might be agreeing with each other, but I wasn't sure, you know, but we just kept talking about the particular problem. And so I brought in these little, I don't know, at least like these toys that I had gotten at like the dollar store or something. And there were, some of them were red and some of them were green. And I gave everybody a red and green toy. And what we did is at any given point, you know, we'd talk about a problem for a few minutes. I said, okay, let's just do a quick straw poll. Like, where are we at? And then I would make a statement like, we should do blah, blah, blah. And then if you agreed with it, you put the green toy in front of your table, in front of your space. And if you disagreed, you'd put the red one. And so we do that. And I'd look around, there's about 15 people. And I'd say, okay, I see two reds. Those of you that are red, let's hear your thoughts. What do you think? And sometimes all they wanted was to change like a, a, a sentence or a word. Like, well, I just don't think I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Quick. Everyone agree with that? Anyone disagree? You know, okay, good. And the whole thing would be done in five minutes. Wow. And it was now sometimes it, it was longer, you know, 30 minutes, so maybe a couple, maybe it would even take a couple sessions. But what I found is that so often teams just keep on talking and they actually all agree with each other. Or maybe somebody's playing the devil's advocate, even though they don't actually feel that way. And um, just so, and actually, I'm in the process of developing this deck of cards based on that experience, which, you know, everybody in the team would basically get a couple of the cards and they would put forth the red or the green one, or there's going to be more gradation there. But anyway, what ended up happening is that after several months, our team was like the rock star team for this particular project. And we ended up becoming this exemplar, you know, doing the most innovative work. And part of that is we were able to just quickly make the decisions we needed to. And then those that needed to take more time, we took more time on them, but we weren't wasting time with. So did, was there, was there anybody that sat there with another individual? If you and I were sitting there and we both put green out and I would say to you, Oh, Amy, you agree with this? By the way, you were talking. I didn't, I didn't think you agreed with that. I thought you disagreed. You're like, no, I didn't disagree. I mean, totally. I'm sure you saw that happen, right? Oh, absolutely. And that was actually partly what prompted this whole thing was because that happened and somebody, it was like, wait, you agree? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to spend hours wasting time in conversation, you know, and, and conversation's good. Like I'm all for it, but if we need to make a lot of decisions, uh, yeah, let's get through it quickly. Don't you find that sometimes with some of these conversations, people, it's because of the phrasing of what they say and the perception of the phrasing from the yes. other person that they read it completely differently than, than the intention of the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is sometimes like, you know, I would lay out the phrase and then someone would want to change one word because that particular word was real triggering for them. Um, it, interestingly, there was another team at the same time that I was working with. And there was one woman in the team who was really triggered by the word trust mm. And she had been very involved in unions and I, I don't even quite fully understand, you know, what, what it was about that, but she did not like it if we used the word trust. And so it's like, all right, well, let's find another way to say what we're trying to say. Yeah. You know. Can we get along and respect each other? <laughs> exactly. Right. Something, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, 
And, and of course, you know, we've got to put a plug in here on leadership because when we talk about this, this is all about leadership. And oh, absolutely. Team ideas and decision-making and ability to be able to achieve the goals of that team, not just yeah. the purpose, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I've got my final question for you as we meander down this path of leadership. All right, let's talk about Amy for a second. If you could write yourself a letter mm. and send it back to yourself like 20 or 25 years, and you say, dear Amy, someday you're going to be a doctor. What would you say to yourself? What, what kind of advice would you give Amy? That I'm reading this letter now, but I wrote it 25 years in the future. Yeah. You, you write yourself a letter today and send it back to 25 years ago that uh, oh, wow. you know, a okay. younger Amy is reading this letter from yourself from 25 years into the future. And you would tell yourself what, what would you, what advice would you give that younger Amy? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing is be yourself. Mm. Just like that, that's been a big learning for me. You know, the older I get, the more comfortable I am with who I am. And the more I'm able to embrace who I am, the better it goes, especially for my business. Um, And I think, you know, there've been times where I was like, oh, well, they're doing it this way. So I should try to model that, you know, do it after them and not, not like copy, but you know, just, and it didn't work. No. Um, yeah. So I think I would say, you know, be yourself, Amy, be yourself. Yeah. I, I think that's great advice for any of us. And from, from a leader standpoint, it's the only way to be yeah. and why we start with personal mission statements, because knowing and understanding our authentic self is the foundation of our ability to be a great leader. Without yeah. that, we're confused and we confuse others. From the the moment we walk in the in the room, people get confused, yeah. and uh, well, people won't be confused with you, Doctor Amy, because <laughs> I've known you for a few years. But your your spirit and your brightness and your just your energy is something that I've really always enjoyed with you and enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It was a really fun conversation. Thank you again, and I'm Doctor Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. <laughs>